Hello everybody. So my name is John Holmstrom and I am indeed the Chief Executive of Turning Tides. We were Worthing Church's homeless projects. Uh, and I'll speak about the name change a little bit later on. Can I just thank you so much for such a warm welcome? And I was really looking forward because I was here a year ago and it was that I haven't done a lot of, um, how can I say, speaking and preaching. Uh, because um, I, I told you last time uh, I, I had studied uh, theology. I was actually studying theology at Oxford uh, um, because I had, you know, I had a calling since the age of 12 to, to be a priest in the, in the Church of England. And then the church very wisely said to me, go and get some work experience before we go to ordina uh, ordination college. And I went to Brighton and I started doing some volunteering at Brighton Housing Trust, uh, in fact, as a training housing advice worker. And I sensed my vocation which hasn't changed then, is that God was calling me to how can we help people out of homelessness and out of poverty? Because if you don't have the basics of life, it's very, very hard to be emotionally and spiritually rich. And, and, um, and then this job came up at Worthing Church's Homeless Projects, which, was, which is a charity with a very clear Christian ethos and history. And I got my dream job. Uh, and so therefore gives me a chance to have to use some of my theological training. Uh, I, I, I did agree that I wouldn't do any close textual analysis because uh, uh, that might, might be a bit dry. Uh, but I did want to reflect a little bit on, the, uh, on, on, our, on our gospel today. I mean, you know, what, does, what does it mean? So Zechariah, well, of course, he's the, he's the father of John the Baptist. And what we see in, in the, in, in the, in the so-called birth story, so Luke and, and Matthew's gospel they have an extensive birth story of, of Jesus. And, and I think what we learn in these stories foretells a little bit about God's intention for Jesus. This is very intentional on God's part. And what is the role that John the Baptist played? Well, he's very rooted in the journey of Israel. God caught his first people were the people of Israel. And, and, and we have a body of teaching, stories and, uh, um, in the Old Testament. And, and we have a whole chapter really just dedicated to how John came into being, John the Baptist. And we learn how um, his mother, Elizabeth, she, she was very old and she wasn't able to have children in her life. Barren is the word that's used. And indeed, when Zechariah... Um, got the news that uh, uh, um, he needs to call their first child, John, he was made mute. And it's when he was born and was ready to be circumcised and they checked with Zechariah, do you really want to call him John rather than, which would have been traditional to take his name? And then he spoke, and then he could speak. His tongue was loosened. And then we have this prophecy where it explains the role that John would take to kind of soften the ground, as it were, to, uh, for when Jesus, the Messiah, comes. And of course, when we, it's very interesting when we read uh, uh, from our reading today, very much the language of the Old Testament, a Messiah who would deal with the enemies. Because, of course, at that time, you know, uh, uh, um, the, the, the Jewish people, you know, they were uh, in the, the, 
politically dominated by the Romans. They weren't a free people. And, and they've experienced that before. So very much the Messiah, the Christ figure, was somebody who would usher in a new kingdom. But it was, uh, you know, it was getting them out of that, that, that fix. Um, but it was also about the forgiveness of sins. But also a little bit earlier on, we have the, the Mary, when she learns about becoming, uh, um, that she's going to have Jesus as a child, um, she, has the, that she sings what's called the, the Magnificat. And there you, you very soon find that this isn't going to be a different Christ. Um, he, he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. So already we start getting a sense this is going to be different. And, and one of the, the well, I was, it's interesting, I was looking at the translation here, where would, um, that John, actually, what, what does he go after he's grown up? He goes into the wilderness, was the translation here, or the desert. And that made me think something about the, the story about how Jesus was born. He was born into homelessness, if you think about it. They were kind of, you know, refugees, and then they, and she was about to have a baby, and they had to go into an inn, and then go in, and, they, and they, all they could find was a stable. Now, the danger is, I mean, we have our crib there, and we often make them look quite cosy, don't we? Uh, and we sing away in the, major, uh, way in the manger. And my mother kept horses, and I remember as a child, and then if I went into a stable, they were smelly, they felt danger, and they felt dangerous, you could get trampled on. And, um, and actually, a manger was this really rough wooden box, which was really quite grubby when food was, you know. So actually, when I think, what does that say about the incarnation and, the, uh, 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 and what was God doing in these stories? So I think what we find in John, this was a remarkable birth in remarkable circumstances. But he went out into the wilderness, preparing the way. Indeed, he died. He was killed, put to death, for doing what God had called him to do, just as Jesus had done. So, I, to me, what's really important when we think about the gospel is the teaching of the kingdom of God. What sort of kingdom was Jesus talking about? And it wasn't one of privilege and where everything is about power. Uh, it was a kingdom where everything is turned upside down. It's a kingdom which is in the first place, is for the last, not the first. It was a kingdom when he taught, he went and mixed with people on the, on the low order. If lep- lepers, people who are unpopular, tax collectors. It's for women who had to learn children, who are the lower so, and, and that was the kingdom. So, for myself, thinking about our charity, you've n- noticed that we have changed our name. I mean, this church, you have been one of our longest and most faithful, indeed generous supporters of our, our charity. And we called ourselves Worthing Churches Homeless Projects. And it's been a really good name because it explained exactly what we've done. Based in Worthing, helping people out of homelessness. But over the last 25 years, we have grown. Um, and we now don't just work in Worthing. We work in Littlehampton. We work in Horsham. And over the last year, we've started working in Mid-Sussex. 
And we wanted a name that reflected that. But also, unfortunately, for some of our clients, the church's name was a stumbling block. Unfortunately, some people had damaging experiences um, or just have this perception you know, that we're going to jump on them and try and convert them and would just refuse to go into our services. So we thought, actually, we need to think about that. And what could be a good name? And, and it was a really hard journey. It took, it took us two years, and I was talking about it. I think when I was here, we were on that journey. And somebody blessed us with the name Turning Tides. And for me, it's, there's so many resonance, resonances. But firstly, sea. We're a coastal you know, town, where I think that's where we've started. And the sea is really important. Indeed, if you think about the story of, of the calming of, the, of the, the stormy seas by Jesus. And that reminded me, um, I, when, when I was at university, my chaplain, uh, Anthony Phillips, um, who was um, also my tutor, he was an Old Testament scholar. So he always kind of took us back to the Old Testament. Don't ignore the Old Testament. He's at your peril. And, and, but one of the things for him was the creation story. Uh, and, the, and the first creation story. And for him, it's very much this is about God calling order out of chaos, creating shape. And, uh, and I think for myself, turning tides is how we create order out of chaos because our lives of our clients who are homeless are highly chaotic, messy, where often there's trauma they've suffered in, normally in uh, as a child, a lot of sexual abuse. There could be other forms of trauma. Women who've suffered really awful abuse. It's no surprise 80% of our clients have mental health issues because of that. And nearly 80% also then are using alcohol and drugs in large quantities to anesthetize that emotional pain. That time. So um, for myself, that, that sense of uh, order out of chaos is one of the things we're doing getting into the mess and if we think of you know if I think of the um, that inn that barn you know that stable that's God getting into that mess creating order but uh, um, so so our name has been a, a big journey it's one of those things you really want to get right and you only want to do once but our values, and I'm, I'm really grateful, uh, to, and it's, it's, I think Simon and Sally put it, that, uh, uh, do, do go and have a look, because that tells a little bit more about that journey. Um, we've got a poster with our new values, because it, it's funny, actually, in rebranding, you often think, oh, you know, it's because you want to do something different or be something. Actually, it was much more a journey trying to work out who are we uh, and what, what is our essence. And we came up with uh, eight new values uh, and do, do have a look at those but key to one of that is we value faith and spirituality in our Christian roots and so having the name Turning Tides is to give a name that a metaphor which we can mine and mine and creating that sense of permission it's not just that we are uh, um, an inclusive charity uh, uh, and, and, and that's how we open our it's like God's heart to the most vulnerable uh, um, but that we are a charity that I can come here and, and I can speak from the heart what, what God is trying to say to me in this moment for our charity and our purpose we've had an eventful year 
rebranding is quite a big thing. Um, we had a big pro new project, uh, and I don't think I think I was probably just yeah that was in the air uh, when I was here in November. And uh, one of our um, supporters, um, um, Rafi Holmes and the, the Chill family, who helped found the charity and very passionate, you know, very devout Christians, um, they had a building. They, they, they build luxury blocks of flats. They're very good at it. And they um, uh, uh, offered us a 38-bed former nurse's home opposite the Worthing Hospital, free of charge for five years. They said, well, we're not going to need this for five years. We'll try and keep that as long as possible. We refurbished it, and we now created 38 beds. We then used housing benefit. I could fill it with 15 staff, and now we filled it with the most vulnerable people that we have in our homeless community who were otherwise were having to wait months to get into accommodation because we're constantly full up with our, with our, with our existing hostels. And um, our rough sleeping numbers were 35 in November last year. They have been in the low 20s for the last uh, six months. So it shows, even though austerity is certainly not making homelessness easy, it's nationally going up, we, you can with community support. And that's really important that we are client and we put client and community at the heart of our charity. So there's been growth and there's been success. We've also uh, taken on Richard Housing Association in East Grinstead, which is a very small former car gone. Um, so that means, we're, and we've also now got a contract to do outreach, street outreach um, for Mid Sussex Council. So I think the important thing to understand is though the bigger numbers may absolutely, as we in the prayer heard, today heard in London in Brighton, but there is rough sleeping in Haywards Heath, in Burgess Hill, in, in, in East Grinstead. Um, there's o over a dozen. So they are in your community as well. And we're now beginning to reach out to them and working with the council to find a pathway out. And that each of those cases is complicated. It's the most complicated case in Brighton, London, or Worthing. So, um, so, and, so your support has, is really, really important. It's particularly important because, um, unfortunately, West Sussex County Council, you've probably heard in the news, and I've certainly been on the television quite on this, um, said, well, we give you give supported housing, not just us, um, YMCA, South Down, for older people, £6.3 million a year. Used to be £17 million, but because of cuts, it's gone down to six. Months. They said, we can't afford any of that, and we're going to cut 100% of it. And so I've been spending a lot of the recent weeks working with the other providers saying, you cannot do that because we hold the most vulnerable people um, in, 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 our, in our projects. And, um, and, uh, and it's going to committee uh, on Wednesday next week. So if there's a, a prayer, please pray for us and the politicians that they come to wise decision. There's a bit of pushback, then going to cut it by 70% instead of 100%, but still... But that's 270000 of our money, and because of the way housing benefit works, we will lose a quarter of our £3.5 million. It will take the guts out of the charity and our pathway out of homelessness. It's a huge, huge risk. Um, so do please pray. Uh, you know, for everybody involved in those, because they're very difficult decisions. It's not like our politicians want to make those decisions. They don't. They go into public service. 
and they're backed into a corner, but an unacceptable corner. And one of the messages that we've putting out, is not just us, but the other charities, is we hold, it's life-saving. Uh, and in the report I did, it showed we have 12 people whose death we avoided last year. 12 people. But one of the statistics you'll see up there is the average age of a rough sleeper. Now, you probably know, I mean, do you know what the average age we die at the moment? It's a different age for men and women. Any, any guesses? For, for women, do you know how old it is for women? Yes, it's, it's 82. 82, absolutely. I looked it up. Well done. And for men, it is? 79. 79. We don't quite live as long, so we, we don't. Something. Do you know what the average age for a person who slept rough is? It's just 47. So one of the harsh things in our work is people will die young. They will die young because they would develop long, often have long-term health issues, but they don't access health services. Because when you're on the streets, it's quite difficult to access, just go to get a GP, or actually deal with it. So I don't know, I mean, I've got diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Uh, um, I'm probably not the only one in the room. But we know then how important it is to stay on top of our medication and our checks. Very hard to do that if you're homeless. So people die young, but they also die young because of mental health issues. And, and what I wanted to finish on is just a reflection on how two different clients died um, this, this summer. Sorry, it's a bit sad, this, but, but I think it really, to me, really, it really touched me. So we, we had one man who died in his late 40s. And he'd been street homeless for many, many years. One, as actually a client we really struggled with, with his own mental health and his addiction, and he was in and out of our services. He was actually in one of our services at that point, but he died. He'd, I think he took something, and he made a mistake. But he died at a point, which is the other thing we notice, people, relationships with their friends and their family in the closet often break down, and they lose touch. And he hadn't made peace with his family at the point he died. So they didn't even want to organise a funeral for him. That meant his friends, who were street community, they had nowhere to go to share their grief. And, we, and those, we've all been to funerals, and they're so powerful occasions, aren't they, when they bring together, and you hold those people who... And actually, what we're getting reports where they were trying to hold memorials, on the, literally on the streets, and cause you know, and their behaviour, in fact, became more difficult and more distressed. And I want to compare that with somebody else, and I'm going to call him Smiler. Um, uh, he's a young man, and he died of a degenerative Ill, illness um, eventually. And he came into our services about five or six years ago. And he had a history of being in care. He had addictions and he had mental, mental health issues. But he had this beautiful smile. And he was just one of these cheerful personalities. So despite, he could be really chaotic, really annoying and frustrating, but he had this beautiful smile and he was very popular. He used to get picked upon. He was quite slight. So he was a person that could easily be exploited. And uh, um, so, so, but, but sadly, he died uh, um, 
And what, 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 but I, we were asked to speak at his funeral. So I spoke at his funeral, and one of our, my members of staff did. And she was explaining how three, three years ago, he, he, she went up with him to a London hospital to get his diagnosis, where he learned he will have an illness from which he will die. And then we worked desperately hard. We found a Christian family who took him in for six months and gave him some stability. That broke down. He was back homeless again. But what he really needed as he was getting iller, he was getting so thin, his trousers used to fall down and he couldn't hitch them up because he, you know, it, was, it was just desperate. So, and it took us a good year or two of solid advocacy to social services saying, you need to put him in residential care. And they did. And he found residential care in Bognor. Uh, uh, and it was a remarkable transformation. He came to a volunteer evening. He, he put weight on. I barely recognized him. He was smiling. He was doing... Um, but at the funeral, I learned something which none of us knew. In that last year, he found faith. And Pastor Drew spoke at the funeral and he was one of the other key speakers so the family asked us and yes he died that was sad but he had found faith so how God works out his purpose I don't know you know what I do know is he was touched by God's love and for him he could actually express that Uh, and he um, and he obviously touched his church community. You know, it's one way. He wasn't just going along. He, uh, and, and it was one of the most moving funerals. And that was the contrast to me, where it was, it was a life, in the end, you felt well-lived, well-ended, where he was there with his close family who were reconciled, his friends, they could all be there. And us as an organisation where he, he was a big part of our lives and, and it was a big privilege that we were asked to be there. So on that note, I just wanted to just finish and just as ever thank, you know, do have a look at the, um, uh, the, the wonderful uh, uh, display over there. Uh, um, we're on a journey and without support of churches and, and like yourselves, we wouldn't, wouldn't be here, wouldn't be doing what we, we could do. And, and I'd like to, there was a beautiful prayer I thought right at the beginning the two girls did about peace and um, I wish you all a very peaceful Christmas and, but peace for our clients uh, and thank you so much.